Every day, this virus throws us a new challenge. And Vermonters have to understand that even in a country where the budgeting for emergency preparedness has gone down, we in Vermont have maintained at least what we need to really make sure that when coronavirus arrives, we have the structures in place to deal with it. And we have the people in place who have the experience to deal with it. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Today on the Vermont Conversation, we'll be discussing COVID-19. We're joined by Vermont Health Commissioner, Dr. Mark Levine. Prior to the COVID pandemic, most Vermonters would probably be hard pressed to name the state's health commissioner. Today, most Vermonters can easily identify Dr. Levine's familiar baritone voice as he discusses the latest strategies for containing the COVID pandemic in the Green Mountain State in his twice-weekly press conferences with Governor Phil Scott. These strategies have contributed to Vermont having the lowest COVID death rate in the nation. However, COVID continues to take a significant toll. As of today, some 10,000 Vermonters have recovered from having COVID-19, 186 people have died, and 53 people are currently hospitalized, and Vermont cases are now on the rise. Dr. Levine is a graduate of the University of Rochester Medical School. He was a professor of medicine at the University of Vermont and associate dean for graduate medical education before Governor Scott named him Vermont's Commissioner of Health in March 2017. Uh, Dr. Levine, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Thank you. I want to go back a year ago. Uh, when you first heard about the emergence of this new uh, COVID-19 strain, how did you think it would affect Vermont? Boy, shows how fast a year has gone by. <laughs> the reality is, um, even before our first case, uh, we were intently watching all of the news from China. We were intently watching the arrival in Washington State of the first case. And we had activated our health operations center and our state emergency operations center at least a month before we even saw a case. So I was briefing the governor's cabinet, I think in January, just giving them a sense of what was out there and what we were concerned about. Uh, I don't think any of us had uh, too much of an idea of how much this would take off and how it would become um, the once in a century pandemic that everyone has feared for so long. But we were already really getting very prepared and really trying to make sure that um, when the first case arrived in Vermont, we uh, were poised for action. Where did you think we'd be? You'd be a year from now, uh, based on what you knew then. And I also know that you were at the time this first arrived in Vermont. You were visiting your daughter, uh, who and 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 you're meeting your new. Uh, grandchild. <laughs> exactly. Uh, thinking that would be the first of many visits, uh, uh, that I would be leaving the state frequently, but uh, that never happened. Uh, once, you know, once we realized this was a novel virus and what it could do and how quickly it could spread, and of course, early on, we didn't know a lot about its impact on people, but we knew it being novel, we had no immunity. We had to really anticipate the worst in terms of potential hospitalizations, all of those doomsday scenarios about hospitals being filled up, 
ventilators being exhausted um, and the population not having enough PPE to even take care of uh, patients. And then of course, deaths that would follow. Uh, we had to take that very seriously. And even if it was a little alarmist at first, and we didn't have a great grasp of what that situation was like, we had to really plan for the worst, think about surge capacity, all of these concepts that in emergency preparedness and in emergency planning, you always think about, but usually that's in a um, sort of trial as opposed to real time. And real time, it was like, we've got to have all this in place very, very quickly. And the pace just picked up so quickly. We had our first case on March 7th. Several days later, our second case, within a week uh, or 10 days, we had a first death, um, outbreaks in nursing homes. So things moved very fast. And of course, everyone remembers how quickly we sort of closed things down in terms of gathering size, different kinds of uh, parts of our economic and dining and hospitality sectors closing, eventually our schools closing. Uh, that all happened in such a rapid fire fashion. You know, in recent weeks, Dr. Fauci has spoken candidly about the challenge of leading a public health campaign under President Trump, where bad news was suppressed, masking was politicized, and there was no national plan for combating uh, the pandemic. What challenge did you face in leading Vermont's public health response in this larger national context? Yeah, you're asking me to remember back, but that really was a context that continued for many months. So overall, um, often at our press con conferences, I would lament the lack of a coherent national policy. And I would really um, almost uh, in talking to Vermonters say, um, this is how we're doing it. And we believe we're using the best uh, data, the best science, uh, and we have a team of experts that are all working together. But the reality is, much as we have tried all along to be the island of Vermont in the middle of the continental US, and we've done that pretty successfully many times, that's a real challenge in a large country. So it has been a real challenge for us, especially when it comes to what you do surrounding border states, what you do surrounding travel policies, quarantine policies, the competition between states for PPE, the competition between states for testing materials and having their own testing uh, supplies and being able to maintain them and not encounter shortages that would shut your operation down. Uh, it played out on so many levels. Uh, and as you've seen even very recently, bringing us to the present, while the vaccine uh, strategy as a country has been very strong in terms of um, harnessing all of the forces that need to be harnessed to rapidly develop uh, a vaccine against a novel virus and have it uh, enter into mass production, the part that we've fallen down on as a country is actually how that would be deployed state by state, how each state would get their vaccine and eventually get it into the arms of the people who need it in their states. That part has not been well coordinated it was more or less uh, punted, if you will, from the federal level to the state saying, we've done our job, we will get the vaccine to you at warp speed, but then you've got to use it and develop all those systems in place. And many of our states have um, 
healthcare establishments and public health establishments that are frankly fatigued, as fatigued as the rest of the population with the pandemic. They've been going 24 seven full speed ahead on managing the pandemic. And suddenly now they have this gift of a vaccine and had to rapidly develop strategies to actually utilize it. How do you assess the state of Vermont's public health infrastructure and its own fatigue with this? Oh, we are energized in Vermont to be, and I'm not saying that facetiously, we really are. Uh, every, every day this virus throws us a new challenge. Uh, and whether the challenge is specific to the virus itself or it's more of a structural or system challenge of how do we get the vaccine, get enough of it, and make sure it's going to Vermonters. Um, the governor has been really masterful at developing teams, having these teams really work cohesively with one another, uh, making sure that we all understand uh, where we're going, where, what our North Star is, what our goal is, but at the same time, um, we have emergency operation structures that really have been successful in Vermont for so long. Whether it be a, an Irene, whether it be another natural disaster, we've never had to use it quite to this level for a healthcare disaster or a health disaster. But uh, at the same time, the, the interlocking parts are really amazing. And Vermonters have to understand that even in a country where the budgeting for emergency preparedness has gone down through many successive administrations in Washington, we in Vermont have maintained at least what we need to really make sure that when um, coronavirus arrives, we have the structures in place to deal with it. And we have the people in place who have the experience to deal with it. On a scale of one to 10, with 10 being most concerned, how worried are you about the new variants of the virus? Um, I'd, I'd probably be in these five to seven range. So, you know. That's pretty worried. <laughs> well, yeah, because there's, and that's gonna reflect uncertainty. Number one, we know viruses mutate. And the more viruses are around and infecting us, the more opportunity they have to mutate. So best that we could just suppress them and uh, they're not interacting with us much, they're not gonna be doing a lot of that. Number two, um, some of the mutations will allow the virus perhaps to infect more people, uh, be more easily transmissible. It doesn't necessarily mean um, in every case that it would have a more severe course, nor that it would respond less favorably to a vaccine. It's, it's mutant by mutant to figure that part out. And that's why the work that's going on now is so critical with the South Africa, the Brazil, the UK, uh, all of those are different uh, genetic makeups and may respond differently to the vaccine. And we need to know that really real time quickly so that if vaccines need to be adjusted in any way, they can be adjusted quickly. It also means we have to rely on governments and populations to really, while they're trying to vaccinate more and more people, really try to suppress this virus as much as possible. 
which means having everybody do all of the usual public health guidance that we always talk about, because it's really those two parallel pathways together that have to uh, really work cohesively together. This is often being described as a race between vaccination uh, and the speed of the variants, which uh, it, it seems are the issue so far, not that they're more deadly, but more transmissible. Um, how do you think Vermont will fare in that race? Who's going to cross the tape first, the virus or uh, the public health measures to contain it? The vaccine? Yeah, well, we're, we're heartened by yesterday's results from genome sequencing, which were negative in the specimens that were analyzed. We'll have more results on Monday next week to, to see if the latest set have the variant or not. Um, but I have been publicly saying we're going to see the variant, so it won't be a surprise when it happens, but I'd rather it delay itself as much as possible. I think the vaccination strategy we've done is really to protect the people who are most likely to have the worst consequences when they contract COVID. And that really is the age groupings that we've done and already taking care of those in our long-term care facilities. If we can just go a little longer with getting through the 65 and above and starting into the people with high risk conditions, we will do very well because the goal is still to protect that population. And not that younger people will let them get the virus because that's not the attitude we have, but the consequences to the younger people getting the virus are much less than the groupings that we're going to be vaccinating first. So if we can win that part of the race, uh, we will do very well um, as a state and as a country, to be to be frank, because um, that you know the, the coronavirus is not going anywhere. Once we vaccinated as many people as we can, it's not like the virus will have disappeared. It will be part of the landscape, just like we see the flu every year. Even though we all try to get flu shots, uh, and the flu virus mutates in its own way. So the goal is to really get enough people vaccinated uh, and to make sure that the most vulnerable are well taken care of. So there has been uh, some criticism of the age banding as a, a strategy, particularly as it relates to how communities of color are uh, receiving the vaccination. And we've seen in Vermont, uh, the health department data shows that 9% of white Vermonters have received the vaccine, but uh, then it begins to fall. 7% of Hispanic Vermonters um, and 6% of Black Vermonters and only 2% of Native American Vermonters. What accounts for this disparity? And are you rethinking this age-banding only approach in order to address some of the disparities you encounter in the BIPOC communities? Yeah, so those are very good points. Um, it turns out in Vermont, that the BIPOC community skews younger in age. So part of that is explained just by the fact that their populations are younger and haven't yet reached that age threshold that they would get vaccinated. But on the other side of the coin, that's why we're paying special attention to the fact that many, especially in our new American communities, are living in multi-generational housing. So when we identify a 70-year-old or a 75-year-old in those communities, 
we dedicate a tremendous amount of resources to all of the appropriate interpretation, uh, communication, education about the virus and to accessing the virus, uh, making sure that uh, because transportation is often an issue that the virus, the, the vaccine can actually be uh, deployed to that population. So we're actually integrating in getting members of the household in a multi-generational household vaccinated at the same time, uh, which will help with that age skewing that I mentioned earlier. Um, there's no way around it completely um, because you're right, there may not be as many 75 plus year olds in those communities as there are younger people. So we have to get down to that age range, but we're fully cognizant of the uh, burden uh, and excess illness, excess cases, sometimes excess hospitalizations in the BIPOC community, which is why we wanna make sure that in each age band, they are cer certainly at the front of the line and their households are as well. The other question raised by the age banning is that uh, it doesn't necessarily prioritize essential workers. Uh, and among those, uh, of course, teachers have been very uh, insisting that they be moved up in the line uh, since the governor and others have placed a priority on keeping schools open. What about that? Yeah, so um, many states are doing what we have done because they tried to do another strategy and found it was just so cumbersome and complex. Uh, we sort of from the, the get-go have decided we can't possibly please all the people at once. And we can only disappoint many people if we adopt a strategy that would respect the data we have, which shows that the older you are, the more likely you are to die from COVID if you get it, the data we have showing that chronic conditions are important and high, so-called high-risk conditions are important, and that the data shows that majority of people in the uh, younger age groups who are in these workforces, whether we call you know an essential worker or a frontline worker, whether that be in the education community, in the uh, supermarket community, in the transportation sector. Um, it's really challenging to say to all of those people, you're all in the same priority group and go to the registration site and set yourself up for an appointment because that will take six months. And all that you'll do is find people who feel good they have an appointment, but terrible that their appointment isn't until summertime. Uh, this way, we're really trying to take care of our North Star, which is preserve life, make sure that we can keep as many Vermonters who are at higher risk of dying from dying. And it has to sort of play out this way. The good news is we're not seeing those deaths in these other communities of these essential workers that you're describing. And in fact, for many of them, uh, as in the teachers who are actually undergoing surveillance testing, we're finding less infections than we are in the general population, which is great. It shows they're doing a wonderful job of trying to keep their schools their homes, their communities safe. When do you estimate that Vermonters who are under 65 without any other uh, pre-existing medical conditions, sort of the general population, population uh, that that pool of people uh, will begin seeing vaccinations? Yeah, well, today's February 10th. I would presume 
they will start seeing it sometime in the month of March. So by mid-March, you're saying you'll have vaccinated all the priority, prioritized uh, groups, that is the 65 and over and people with medical conditions. Um, so I think your question was what, like when we'll start with the 65 and older. So oh, no, my question was when we'll start with the general population who oh, are not okay. in any of those ages. Okay. Yeah. So our goal is by the end of March that the 65 and older groups will have been taken care of. Certainly no later than early April. That would be the goal. And that would mean the next group after 65 and older would be 16 through 64 with high-risk conditions. And then um, what is your estimate of once how long it will take to get through that group to the general non-vulnerable population? Yeah, we're trying to figure that part out right now because so many of that group appears in the older age groups. There could be as many as 100,000 people, though, 16 to 64 with those conditions. So that will take some time. The good news is it's always a moving target. You just heard from the governor yesterday, we're getting a few more doses per week uh, that President Biden announced. We're also getting a new pharmacy program with Walgreens that will have um, in the thousand dose, uh, several thousand dose a week range of increased allocation. They've told us this is for the next three weeks. I never wanna promise anything beyond what they can promise me because it's beyond our control. But if that pattern continued or even further increased because we've been told Pfizer and Moderna are actually uh, working on providing another half a million doses more than they had promised previously. And then we of course have the potential for Johnson and Johnson to come into play. If at the end of February that receives emergency use authorization, all of these affect the tempo of how we can get vaccine into arms and could make the dates I've listed uh, be even shorter for all I know, uh, which would really hasten our ability to get to that uh, 16 to 64 cohort who uh, have high risk conditions. What do you f uh, feel will be the impact of the vaccine hesitancy and anti-vax uh, movements? Yeah, so the vaccine hesitancy is a phenomenon. It's, it's out there, it's real. I think it's been um, helped by the fact that uh, the communication has been better. The original communication was Operation Warp Speed, which to many people meant, well, they're just rushing this out and I wouldn't dare use it. God knows if it's safe. The reality is a lot of people, almost 10% of the country now has received vaccine and we're not hearing about all kinds of adverse consequences of that. And people are now, I think, more respectful of the process that Operation Warp Speed went through in terms of the development and engineering behind these vaccines. So I think that helps a lot. I do think that when we look at our earliest data in Vermont, we see very high uptake in the long-term care facility residents that's in the 80 to 90 plus percent range. We don't see as high uptake in the people who work in those nursing homes and other long-term care facilities. That's probably in the 40 to 60% range, which is actually better than a lot of the country. In our healthcare workforce, we're hearing very good reports, uh, again, in that high 80% range. Uh, 
So I think that's an indication that some of the people who might be the most critical about the vaccine are willing to take the vaccine and feel that they can have trust in its efficacy data and its safety data. So I think that's really important. You ask about people who have um, not just vaccine hesitancy, but I guess you you know they're they're very very much um, in the anti-vaccination campaign, if you will. Uh, we're not hearing a lot from that community of people right now, um, and they never represent a high percentage of the people who haven't taken vaccines in the past. So. Um, I'm, I'm not too worried about them. They're very hard to convince of the efficacy and safety of vaccines, um, but they shouldn't amount for a high percentage of our population in Vermont that would uh, be hesitant to take the vaccine. There has been a spike in cases in southern Vermont, in Rutland County and Bennington County. What is, um, are the contact tracing and the usual things that you've done to contain it not working there? What is What accounts for that? I wouldn't say that that is not working. I would say that there are just more cases present because of more community transmission. I've talked to some of the public officials in both Rutland and Bennington counties, and many of them are convinced it's pandemic fatigue, to be honest, and people just not just letting their guard down a little bit. Um, we do know that uh, there are outbreaks in those counties, but when you look at the percentage of the cases attributable to the outbreaks, it's well under 15%, like we're seeing around the rest of the state. Hmm. If you look at people who are out-of-staters, who may be uh, influencing our data, that's again, less than 20 or 15%. The majority of the cases seem to be just showing up at work sites, at schools, at long-term care facilities, at all parts of our society. And uh, the, the rate of finding a person who came into contact with another person with COVID is almost 50%. So we kind of know it's in the community, it's being transmitted from one person to another. And our contact tracing has been able to identify that the biggest risk was coming into contact with someone who's a case. The challenge is finding that case before they become a case, because obviously if you've come into contact with them while they have no symptoms uh, and then you've acquired the virus, um, that is not a good strategy. So that's why we're trying to encourage testing as much as possible to find that pool of individuals who might've been exposed, who might not have any symptoms, but who might be capable of transmitting the virus to others so that they can appropriately isolate or quarantine themselves and then uh, reduce the rate of transmissibility and bring this to an end. We're heartened by some recent numbers that are showing, uh, at least in Bennington County, a decrease in the cases in general. Finally, as you look down the road, what concerns you most uh, in terms of managing the pandemic ahead? Ah, well, one thing I would say is the variance, uh, just because of the unpredictability and the, um, the issues about travel. Travel has always been a big concern um, in our country and in our state. Um, being able to manage that well. The, uh, the fact is back in March, 
if we'd had a different travel policy in the country, we wouldn't have even seen the number of cases that we've started to see and the explosion that we've seen in this country. So I am worried about travel and the variants because those are a little bit beyond our control. Uh, and I think that's really the problem. It's the things that are beyond our state's control that are the biggest challenge. I'm encouraged though, again, by the new administration trying to have some more national strategy going on. Uh, and they're showing that to us, you know, pretty much on a regular basis, whether it be how they're managing the vaccine allocation, some recent publications that are coming out this week about masking and being more specific about the kind of masks and how you wear them and when you wear them and trying to provide more guidance in those areas. I think those are all gonna be very healthy for us as a, as a country to deal with. And the other thing I'm worried about is the phenomenon of pandemic fatigue. Um, we all feel it, we all know it's real. Um, I'm just really hoping um, through encouragement alone, I can have Vermonters continue to try to not let their guard down, keep up their good behavior along with getting more vaccine coming in, because in the end, that's going to be our pathway out of this. Uh, and the sooner pathway, the, the better. Okay, well, Dr. Levine, I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Vermont Conversation. My pleasure. Thank you. Dr. Mark Levine is Vermont's Commissioner of Health.